If you will, please stand with me at the reading of God's Word. Jonah chapter 4 is is uh, where we will be. We're finishing up this, this wonderful book that I've really enjoyed studying and, and preaching. And this is uh, a wonderful and rich chapter. Jonah chapter 4. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went off, went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. You may be seated. This book is perhaps one of the uh, stories we're most familiar with in all of Scripture from a very early age. If we're hearing stories from the Bible, we're hearing uh, about the story of Jonah. This is a beautiful book. Uh, One of the beauties of the book I want to just call your attention to, and that is what the shape of it is. There's there's two halves to this book. Look back in chapter 1 at the first half. Chapter 1, verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And then chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and then Jonah speaks to the Lord. And we have the same thing in the second half. Chapter 3, verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And then chapter 4, we're expecting 
Then Jonah's going to pray to the Lord. And he does. And it's a very different prayer that he prayed in chapter 2. Jonah in chapter 2 is full of faith because of the salvation that God had given him when he was facing death. This prayer he prays is good in the sense that he's praying to the right person. He's at least praying when he is feeling what he's feeling in chapter 4. But it's coming from the wrong heart. It is a faithless prayer. And and chapter 4, we could say, is is also beautifully put together. It It is also made up of two halves. And and each half ends the same way. It ends in a question. The question that the Lord is, is asking in verse 4, do you do well to be angry? And then in verse 11, should I not pity Nineveh? That's the two questions that make up this the point of this passage. And I'm going to tell you the answer to the Lord's questions in the gospel truth of this sermon, which is this. Pity is right because the Lord is compassionate. That's, that's the answer that the chapter gives to us when the Lord asks these two questions. Pity from the Lord is right because of who He is. He is compassionate. Point number one, from verses one through four, the Lord asks the first question, should you pout? Should you pout, Jonah? The the prophet in verses one and two is angry at the Lord. Uh, the, the, The word says that Jonah is exceedingly displeased, exceedingly Angry in verse one. And, and that word exceedingly displeased is, is actually one of the key words that, that I brought up in chapter three that's repeated throughout this book. It's the Hebrew word raw or evil. So, so what we saw at chapter three, and I think the Lord would want us to see this, chapter three, verse eight, Nineveh turns away from raw. Nineveh is turning away from evil because their evil has come up before the Lord and Jonah is finally restored to faithfulness in chapter 3 and he preaches that God is going to judge them for their evil and so Nineveh turns away from their evil. And then two verses later, chapter 3, verse 10, right before our chapter begins, the Lord, we are told, relents from raw or relents from disaster. We've covered three of the, or two of the main characters in the book of Jonah. How does Nineveh feel? Or what does Nineveh do? And then what does the Lord do? And then now in chapter four, we're dealing with what Jonah feels. And he is displeased or he is experiencing evil because of what just happened. And so he prays. In chapter two, He was rejoicing over the Lord's compassion toward him. In chapter 4, verse 2, he prays to the Lord and says, Oh Lord, is this not, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish in chapter 1. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In chapter 2, I was so thankful that that is who you are. And now, chapter 4, verse 4, the Lord hears Jonah and sees his evil that he's experiencing over God sparing Nineveh. And God says, should you pout? I think in our best moments as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we long to see those who have spent their lives against God, committing evil against people and the Lord. We want to see them all unanimously respond to the gospel. And so Jonah's anger here, it seems so strange. Even if we know this story really well, we're wondering, what's up with this? You're a prophet. Would that every preacher would experience 100% response at an eight-word sermon. Maybe there's too many words. That's why they're not responding as well. But you should be acquainted with the anger. Even if you're surprised by it. Maybe you call it frustration. Maybe you call it disappointment in your life when things do not go the way you think they should. When the people who you have treated like a rival get the good that you want for you. When someone who has offended you gets let off too easily, you experience what Jonah experiences. And so we have this final chapter to remind us just how predictable it should be for our God to be merciful. We need reminders that God is merciful. That is what Jonah says in verse 2. Why is he so angry? Because I knew you. I knew who you were, God. I knew you would do this. Because I know who you are. I know you are. This is who you are. Gracious and merciful. And therefore I ran. Now I want you to notice how Jonah knew this. How Jonah knew, I mean, we just heard in John chapter one, when the Lord Jesus comes into the world, he came to a world who did not know him. And even his own people who had heard about him would not receive him. This is a world that does not know God. And we are part of that world. How is it that Jonah says in verse 2, I knew who you were? It's because Moses wrote it down. This is a really important point. Moses witnessed when the Lord revealed himself to Moses. So verse 2 is a quote from another portion of Scripture. It's from Exodus 34. 
this truth greatly shapes our, our church. This is a truth that we cherish. What I mean is, the reason why we want to put a lot of Bible in our worship of the Lord is because we only can come to know the God we cannot know if He will speak in His Word. And Jonah says, I know who you were because there's a guy who wrote down your revelation of yourself to him. In Exodus 33, remember Moses says to the Lord, let me see your glory. I want to see you. And, and then God says, well, you can't see my face. Man will not see me and live. So what I will do is I will hide you in this cleft of a rock and I will take my hand and, and, and guard your eyes from seeing me and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. And then when he passes by Moses, he says what Jonah ends up repeating. The Lord says in Exodus 34, he descends upon the cloud, he stands with Moses and he proclaims his name. The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is where Jonah got this. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the Lord. We don't see him, but we can know him if we hear his revelation, which is recorded in Scripture. That's how Jonah knows. The Lord is made known when his word is exposed. And my desire and your desire should be, let me know the Lord. Please preach the word. Exodus 34 is, is the greatest Self-revelation of God in the Old Testament. This is who I am. So it's amazing. In John chapter 1, whenever we read what Michael just read for us, that the words of the greatest self-revelation of God in Exodus 34 are repeated. Four words. This is the name of the Lord. We have now seen his glory. We have seen his glory now. He is gracious and no one else has seen him until Jesus reveals him. This is what John 1 said. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Moses didn't see it. Not to this extent. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. That's what John is saying. There's another revelation coming to you now in Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. The church, you should not just demand that your church preaches the Word. Because you want to know God. But we must, when we're preaching the word, preach Jesus. 
Because Jesus is this God. He is the God that Jonah is talking about in Jonah 4 verse 2. And the question that comes to you and to me is will we respond to him? Will we receive him? Or will we react like the world and like Jonah? There were two prophets, Moses and Jonah, who see and experience the same Lord. And once God reveals himself to Moses, the text says what Moses did. He bowed down and worshiped. And Jonah rose and fled. And then, after finally preaching, he pouted. I want you to see what this text is pointing us to. It's to compare what Moses did and Jonah did with the same Lord. Because for Moses, it was glorious. And for Jonah, the text explicitly says it was evil. It was evil to him. Beloved, whatever God does in your life, there will be circumstances that he brings as the God of our lives that will even tempt us to say things like, Jonah, it's better to die than to keep on living in this, in this. Whatever God brings in our lives, it is never right to pout. It will never be right to charge God with wrong. In other words, any time is a good time For the Lord to be who he is. Anytime is a good time for the Lord to be merciful, for the Lord to be gracious, for the Lord to be slow to anger, for the Lord to be abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, for the Lord to be keeping his steadfast love and forgiving iniquity. And it's always a good time for the Lord to be the other things when he says, I will by no means clear the guilty. It's always good because that's who the Lord is. And that's what Jonah says. I knew who you were. I want you to just keep your spot in Jonah and just turn to the right a few pages to Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1 is part 2 of this story of what happens to Nineveh. It happens 100 years later. And I want you to notice how God connects Jonah with Nahum. By quoting the same passage from Exodus. Look in Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. Do you see the Lord is slow to anger? You see that? He's quoting the same thing from Moses, but this time in a different way. In other words, now he's saying the rest of what Moses saw is going to happen to Nineveh. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And that's why Jonah quotes the half about him being saving and forgiving, and Nahum quotes the half about him being judging because he's about to judge Nineveh. He's great in power, and he will by no means clear the guilty. He will avenge now through Nahum 
the evil that they committed against the Lord. But in Jonah, it's not that portion of who the Lord is that is focused upon. Beloved, pity is right because the Lord is compassionate. There's a song that is playing a lot in my house lately. Uh, perhaps, perhaps my song loving Kira um, loves this song more than any right now. And that's a song called Good God Almighty. Uh, by David Crowder. And it could be based, you could say that it, it very much matches what Jonah is experiencing. And Jonah too, he could be singing with David Crowder. I can't count the times I've called your name some broken night and you showed up and patched me up like you do every time. We love it when the Lord does that. And that is true of who He is. But Jonah 4, it's like you singing another part of the song. You say your love goes on forever, that your mercy never stops. So why would I assume you'd be someone that you're not? This is about who the Lord is. Like the sun in the morning, I know you're going to be there every day. So what on earth would make me be afraid? And another way to say it, what on earth would make us be angry at the Lord? Don't you love that He is gracious and merciful? That He is forgiving and relenting from disaster? The Lord's pity is glorious. Because, friends, no matter what circumstance you're currently experiencing or how you're experiencing it, the Lord being who He is, is our only hope for salvation. Because we too have committed evil against this God. He is gloriously piteous. And we should not pout. Point number two comes from verses 5 through 11. Where God asks the second question. Should I not pity? Verse 5. Behold a brat. Behold the booth or the shade, or the plant, and the brat. Jonah, is he seems to hope that his tantrum in verses 2 and 3 are going to compel God to relent of his relenting. I wonder, is this why Jonah didn't keep on quoting Moses whenever the Lord knows what he said to Moses and he leaves out, I will by no means clear the guilty. I wonder, is this Jonah kind of raising his eyebrows to the Lord and saying, what are you going to do? He's hoping God is going to turn away from relenting. Moses, if you'll remember, when this happened in Exodus chapter 34, it was after all the people of Israel in chapter 32 worshipped a false god. And what Moses did was he pled with God, will you let the guilty live? And Jonah begs God for death and hopes the guilty are going to die. So that's what he's doing in verse 5. He builds this 
man cave, I guess, in our terms. And it's like he's watching the big game. He's sitting there and he wants to see God finish what Moses said. Destroy them now. Surely a pagan's pathetic efforts to turn away from evil cannot stop your justice, Lord. Lord, don't you know, they treated you when they put on sackcloth and ashes and turned away from their evil just momentarily. They treated you like they do all the other gods when they think the other gods are angry. Surely the Lord is going to do what I want him to do in showing himself to be a judge. Beloved, learn this from the brat in verse five. The love of the Lord should soften sinners. The love of the Lord should not spoil sinners. And he's acting like a spoiled brat who has experienced the love of the Lord. The same words he prays in this verse, in this chapter, or what he prayed in chapter 2. Your steadfast love is what I love. And now he's angry about the steadfast love being given to others. He's become a spoiled and demanding brat. Oh, beloved, we are sinful. And God's love toward us should soften us toward the failure of other sinners. It should not spoil us and make us demanding of them or the Lord toward them, especially when those sinners have been humbled in their failures like Nineveh is. We should be warm to mercy and soft toward failure. But this is a spoiled brat. And then verses 6-8, through look now at the love of God. Who, the text says, appoints a Savior and a scorcher. The Lord appoints a Savior and a scorcher. Do you see that in verses 6 to 8? Now I want you to pay close attention to me now because this very familiar story um, has things in the text that really help us to understand what's really going on. And you may not have understood this. I did not really understand this until I studied this more closely. What is it that we're supposed to make of this event that happens? What do we make of the Lord saving Jonah from his, here's the word again, raw, his discomfort. You should know that Jonah's solution in verse 5, whenever he makes this um, booth, this shade for himself, it is not a good enough booth to actually guard him from the heat. That's why he's thankful when the Lord appoints a plant. We need to think about the fact that in verse 1, we saw Jonah as being exceedingly mad whenever God spared Nineveh. But then, here in these verses, we are told he is exceedingly glad when the free grace of God is coming to him. Over and over, we've seen the Lord appoint certain things throughout the book of Jonah. Here we are again, verse 7. He appoints this plant, but he also appoints this worm to wither the plant away. And he appoints this wind in verse 8 to scorch him. 
And it moves Jonah to despair of his life again. Now, what I want to do is, is just think together, why did the Lord do this? He's clearly causing this to happen. Why would you kick a man while he's down? This can feel like if we saw our children doing this to another child who's had a bad day, we say you're being childish and you're aggravating unnecessarily. Why is the Lord doing this? Because Jonah didn't answer his question in verse 4. Should you pout? Jonah didn't answer him. So here's the answer. The early bird gets the worm, we're told. Here's Here's a saying for students of the Bible. The careful reader gets the goodies. And I'm going to give you the goodies. Something happens in chapter 4, verse 6 that has not happened until this moment. Do you see the name of the Lord in verse 6? Now, and then there's his personal name, the Lord, but then his title, his impersonal title, who he is, God, is there. That has never come up in all of Jonah. And it matters. Because every time Jonah has been dealing with God in chapter 1, in chapter 2, whenever it's Jonah God's dealing with, He's always the Lord. But look at chapter 3. Look at at the word used in chapter 3 when it comes to Nineveh. Verse 5, it's the word God, the impersonal title Uh, Verse 8, they cry out to God. They don't cry out to the Lord because they don't know His name. They don't know Him. Verse 9, they say, who knows? God may relent and turn from His fierce anger. Verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did, He doesn't have a personal relationship with them or else He'd be referred to as the Lord. God relented of this disaster. Whenever God has dealt with Jonah, he has been referred to as the Lord. Whenever he's dealt with unbelievers, he's been referred to with the generic title. He is the God of everyone. He is the Lord only of the people who worship him. In other words, in verse 6, what we're being told is God is dealing with him like he dealt with Nineveh. Because Jonah is now acting like Nineveh. Jonah is not considering him worthy of knowing. I know who you are and I don't like it. So here's the story. Why do we have this story? It says that the Lord God did this in verse 6. He appointed a plant to save. The saving act is, is accompanied by the word Lord. And Jonah was exceedingly glad, but look in verse 7. No more Lord. God appointed a worm, and attack the plant. Verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. He is treating Jonah like Nineveh so that Jonah can now answer the question. And then we, and then he asks the question again at the end of verse 9. Do you do well to be angry? 
I'm giving you this plant and I'm giving you this worm and I'm giving you this wind so that you can now know how to answer my question in verse 4. And finally, when he's done teaching the lesson, then the word Lord comes back in verse 10. God is disciplining his prophet. He's discipling Jonah so that he can have the right answer. So he puts his prophet in the place of Nineveh. Jonah has this solution of how he can save himself. He makes the plant. He puts that plant over himself. And that solution is not enough. You're right, Jonah. What they did in chapter 3 is not enough for me to save them. Their efforts aren't, in, aren't good enough to save them. Just because they turn from evil, that is not enough to save them. You're right. And I did not have to spare them. And I didn't have to spare you either by giving you the plant. God is making Jonah feel what he wanted to see happen to Nineveh when he took away his sparing. He wants him to feel it. And there are times that you and I need to feel the wrongness of our pouting when God is just being God. Like when I was studying this passage. Oh man, there are some little goodies that the preacher gets that aren't, aren't very pleasant. When I was studying Jonah chapter 4, I spent three hours just observing the text, writing notes, doing all these things. And then all my notes disappeared. They disappeared. Hours of insights. Hours of prayer-filled revelations. And then they were gone. God gave them, and then He just took them away. And minutes later, my wife comes into the room and she's in tears. And she tells me she's just been talking on the phone with this company who had made a clerical error and basically lost a thousand of our dollars. And she was in tears because God, they, they lost it and God just miraculously gave it. And so I experienced them both when I was studying Jonah chapter four as the Lord is preparing his preacher. Beloved, over and over, all that the Lord appoints is accomplished. And nothing that we wish will happen will ever happen apart from Him willing it. The Lord's hand gives us crises in life and He gives us comfort in life. He is the judge. He is a disciplining God. But He's also the Savior. And He's gracious. And He's forgiving. And what matters most is not what He has handed you right now. It is how you feel toward Him right now. It is your disposition to Him right now. And conforming to His ways. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. There's a lot of uncertainty in our nation. There's a lot of uncertainty in our church. There's a lot of uncertainty in our health. There may be a lot of uncertainty that you're facing with your loved ones. And you don't know what the Lord's going to hand you. Is it a crisis or is it comfort? But 
Remember Jonah. Every single thing that occurs, occurs because God appointed it. We are at His mercy. And the good news is, He is merciful. It's not just something that He sometimes will do. He is merciful. And so verses 9 through 11, there's this comparison that the Lord does of the compassion of Jonah and the compassion of the Lord. After this lesson that he just experienced in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we might expect the first words of Jonah in verse 9 to be the same thing he said back in chapter 2 when he was praying to the Lord and he was experiencing who the Lord was when he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's not what he says. You probably are familiar with the idea that Kenny is communicating when he says things. That dog don't know the difference between Kamir and Sikkim. Or maybe he says it better. He doesn't know Kamir from Sikkim. It's the kind of phrase where, where you say that dog don't know the difference between get on over here, let me spat that minute. Versus, hey, there's a perp. Why don't you go and kill it? There's a dog who doesn't know the difference between those two things, and if that's the kind of dog you have, it's a no good and ignorant dog. But even good for nothing dogs, if they're our dogs, we still love them. And so the Lord says in verse 10, Nineveh doesn't know their right hand from their left hand which I just illustrated on accident. And what he's saying is absolutely, they're totally spiritually ignorant. And that is not determining whether I'm merciful to them. Even though all the Ninevites, all that they deserve is destruction, their Creator is merciful. And therefore, because He made them, He cares for them. And when He sees their ignorance, He responds in pity. Now, I, I, I want to alert you to one of the most beautiful, I'm going to geek out as a preacher here, one of the most beautiful things in the, in the book of Jonah, one of my favorite things is that it ends on a question. The way the Gospel of Mark ends in chapter 16, verse 8, that's where it ends. It ends with these three women who have witnessed Jesus be raised from the dead. And they were told, go out and tell the disciples. And the Gospel of Mark ends with them being told, go and tell everyone that you've seen the risen Lord. And the Gospel of Mark ends with these words. They said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And a book ends that way to make the reader respond. What are you going to do? 
If you know the Lord Jesus is risen. And the question in verse 11 goes unanswered in Jonah to call you and to call me to answer it. You see, Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is not about Nineveh. It is all about the mercy of God and his freedom to be who he is. And whether we approve or not, what we feel about that, whether we pout about that, or we answer with them, should I not pity? The creator is free to pity his creation. Do you have to approve of whatever he appoints? Is that the way you live your life? Where your emotions are up and down with whether you approve what he has handed you, what he has appointed you. That's the question that comes to us now. Is he free to be who he is? Is he free to appoint to me whatever he wants? You and I are going to have lots of opportunities to answer this question, but let me help you now answer the question. You should not pout over God's pity. God's pity shouldn't make us pout. God's pity shouldn't be something we prize. And I'm going to try to help you to do that. I'm going to draw two final observations. Go back to the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 2. And see the first word of the Lord when He opens His mouth for the first time in our book. Chapter 1, verse 2. Nineveh's evil has come before me. That's His first word. And His last word in the book in verse 11 is, should I not pity them? Evil comes up before this God. And then pity comes out from this God. Beloved, do not forget what had to come in the middle of evil coming up before the Lord and pity going out from the Lord is the word of judgment had to come against the sinners. That is in the middle. And so you should preach, you should share, do not leave out the judgment of God on sinners. He's a holy God. And He has not missed any of our evil. And you should not just preach judgment. The merciful God is made known to us, especially in the Lord Jesus. So here's my second observation. The word pity in verse 11. God's last word to evil Nineveh. That word pity comes up again later in the Bible. We should wonder, how is it that the Lord can be who He is? When when He says to Moses... I am merciful and gracious and I forgive iniquity and I will by no means clear the guilty. How is he, how can he do both? 
How is it that the book starts with the evil of Nineveh coming up before the Lord and it ends with pity coming out from the Lord? I think the clue comes to us in Romans 8, chapter 32, when that word pity is repeated. And it's translated spare. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare. He who did not pity His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Pity for sinners is right. It's right, Jonah. It's right, church. Why? Only one reason. How can He be gracious and merciful and not clear the guilty? How can evil be before His face and Him not ignore it, but still pity? Pity for sinners is right only because, it is possible, only because the Lord did not pity His Son. He can pity sinners because He did not pity their Savior. Jesus, God in the flesh, came for sinners so that God can be for sinners and so that God can no more, never again, be against sinners. I want us to grow in our love for pity. And our love for the Lord to be who He is. Do you know when the Jews read the book of Jonah? There were certain books that they, when they gathered together, they would read during certain celebrations. And Jonah, they read every day of atonement. Every day the lamb was slaughtered for their sins to be forgiven and for God to be with them. They went to the book of Jonah. That's what the book is about. God forgives by blood. Pity didn't just come out from the Lord. Pity came down from heaven. And pity put the Lord Jesus on a cross where He gave His flesh to do more than delay for a hundred years God's wrath, but to take it all away from us forever. And He was raised from the dead to save anyone who will recognize, I am evil. And I know the Lord knows how evil I am more so than I do. But I'm coming to You, Lord, because You are gracious. You are merciful. And You are gracious and merciful, especially and only through Your Son. And my evil has been put on His shoulders on a cross. And He was raised to come and forgive me. Everyone here should respond to Jonah this way. Entrusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So that evil is not God's last word for you. But God is for me. Because He did not pity. Father in heaven, we pray that you would cause us to believe your word. You would cause us to love you.
We believe, Lord, that you were faithful in your first word in calling Nineveh evil. And we believe also that it is right for your last word to be pity. And now we understand how it is that both can be true. So God, make us love the Lord Jesus, who you did not pity, but put all our sins on. And yet who you still vindicated in resurrection. May we prize him and make us like him. And we ask this in his name. Amen.